The following is a disclaimer from Catherine Kennedy. I maybe stand by nothing in this episode. I recorded it today in one pass, little time for editing, and news was developing as I went about the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster situation. This is a developing situation that I might denounce tomorrow, so I just wanted to warn you ahead of time. This episode may have little to no shelf life, uh, but if there's one thing about me I know, it's that I'm usually very slow, and I thought, you know, maybe let's talk about this while it's going on. If you need a safe space to vent, to find some solidarity in the difficulty of the process this week, and while I'm sure you don't want to devote even more time and energy to it, I thought we could maybe at least have fun and make it entertaining, lighthearted, and uh, analyze maybe what went wrong and what we could do better. So thank you for being here. Sorry if I say anything incorrect. I try to do mental math at one point. It doesn't go well. I'm just grateful for your support. And uh, this is a Be There in Five special report about Ticket Mastermind, one Taylor Swift. Everybody, welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm coming at you live on Thursday, not live, delayed <laughs> on Thursday uh, from Chicago, but more specifically, lying on the cold hard ground. Uh, this has been an interesting week in the Taylor Swift fandom. I want to talk about not only the ticketing process, some of our experiences and missteps, but also expand it to talk about like the broader Ticketmaster antitrust issues, uh, talk about some millennial credit card issues that I feel per the capital one of it all. And I don't know, just have like a safe space to vent and to, to discuss why this is frustrating for fans in a way that like, isn't us being haters, isn't us being negative. Nobody's trying to make a castle crumble overnight. This is, this is capitalism, not Scientology. We're not suppressed people for going against our, our, dance in a storm in her best dress, fearless leader, were people that want some baseline customer service in a capitalistic exchange. It's just crazy to that we even feel guilty speaking badly about a process where we're blindly paying, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for tickets that we were completely unprepared for, we're given no information about, and that all the responsibility was placed in the hands of a of a deeply unethical monopolistic platform so their hands can appear clean um but the drop was the very worst i I've, i don't know if i'll ever recover like i think that this is maybe a bigger deal than they realize and is really going to i mean the, the tr- don't get it twisted the tour will still crush it but like I, I, this just this it feels different and yeah, they say nothing lasts forever, but this is going to take me down because I, I find this to be very frustrating. Is it gonna be the, it's going to be impossible for me not to go overboard with the lyrical references in this episode. Fair warning. But I guess the good news is I'm in the right company. There, it's so clear to me that Ticketmaster and Taylor Nation are to blame in ways that they, to, at, at this point, it's now Thursday. They've not said anything. They've retweeted people being stoked for tickets. And today on their Insta story, uh, they're already starting to promote other stuff and still say nothing. And her, she historically has this posture of anybody who goes up against me is the problem. Um, and here she is do, pulling all this marketing trickery to keep anti-hero at the top of the charts. I'm the problem, it's me. And we're like, yeah, we are saying you're the problem, but it doesn't absolve you from 
hearing constructive feedback in a business dynamic where there are clear things you could have done to make this go smoothly so people aren't actively being exploited. Uh, it's just, it's different this time. It hits different. Like the fact that none of us can listen to hits different because if you didn't buy the four vinyls and did, even if you stream and even if you bought the singles and the digital uh, copies, you still probably can't listen to hits different because you have to buy a third album at Target. But we'll get to that later. Um, this is part of a pattern that many of us have been seeing coming for a while that I've wanted to go gentle on because every, uh, I'm selling a product. I advertise. I have a Patreon. Like we all need to make a buck. We all have to exploit our content to a degree to s- support our living. And I'm sure it's weird when people get like paid to talk about you, right? Like I have done so many Taylor Swift episodes. I mean, I like turned the back half of my live shows into dance parties because when Loverfest was canceled and we went through a pandemic, I didn't know how to infuse people with joy other than to play her music. Um, like part of our collective community and fanfare is loving and celebrating her art. And I just want to be clear that like, I don't, I want to be able to have this conversation without having to say like, I'm done with her or, you know, like have any sort of finite conclusion. Like, I think that that what's that one of the things that's wrong with this fandom is it's like blind worship or bust. And I think we're all adults who can agree. We feel a bit taken advantage of and that something needs to change. And the problem, you know, with Taylor Swift in kind of making anybody who resists her actions feel like a, a regular masquerade reveler. I'm not drunk as I watched your shattered edges glisten. Uh, uh, it's it's not for sport. I, I paid a lot to be in this discotheque. And even if it's not your fault, it would be nice if somebody acknowledged that the mirror ball is broken and the power's out. It's like not personal. And I'm just worried this is going to be turned around or written a song about or like, like, let's say the Swifties actually do an act change at some, with some ticket master policy. Like I've heard people in the industry say this will change how concerts are ticketed. My nightmare is this being turned around and acting like she was powerless and it was us who enacted change by complaining. Like, no, you, you could have not had terrible VIP options that were mandatory and withhold 80% of the d- tickets to have those that attached to it. So we had to, people were bl- blindly buying things with two, three X markup without any knowledge of what it entailed. I mean, there were so, there's countless things that Taylor Nation's accountable for in addition to Ticketmaster. And we'll talk about both, but I guess I just wanted to start by saying, if you're a diehard fan, I am too. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. My problem is how badly I want to go to this concert. Um, but I want to be able to have a conversation on here to express frustration. And part of that amplified frustration is not feeling it all acknowledged by her or her team and kind of being enta- disenchanted, realizing how genuinely one-sided this relationship is. And I think we're entitled to be frustrated. And I think that that's okay. And I think I can turn around in one hour's time, inevitably, when I listen to Midnight Rain again for the the 20th time this week and jam out like nothing ever happened because that's the thing. We contain multitudes and I don't know how to feel. I'm very mad, but I really fucking love Midnight's and I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) I think one interesting thing that I see a lot of people do who express their frustration on TikTok is like clarify there are worse things in the world and blah, blah, blah. And that's just the nature of creating these days. You, that's what we talked about with Antihero and the Midnight's Review. Like, I do think that the world becomes a like an artless place if, if everything requires an aggressive disclaimer preventing, you know, anticipatory whataboutist arguments that completely invalidate what the person's saying. Like, you can focus and it doesn't imply you're including everything ever. And yeah, you see like the get a grip. 
touch grass type of comments. And it's like, listen, we all are deeply aware this is not the biggest thing in the world. Uh, but also, do the things we care about have to be the biggest thing in the world? Like, you ever been to therapy? Pain is pain, baby. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm talking like a sports agent, but <laughs> like wh- wherever she is, I'm sure she's comfortable. And maybe by indulging, we wanted that pain. But it, it, I just think to kind of respond to that. And if you are, it's like, okay, you already have a pit in your stomach about how much you paid or the fact that you didn't get it. You don't have more of a pit in your stomach for caring because I just, I don't know. Like I, I would, I do sometimes maybe need to touch grass. And I know I live a privileged existence, but I also, you know, if one more person tells me to touch grass, like their ass will be grass because life is hard and we all have our own shit we go through. And the only grass I want to be touching is the grass beneath my feet in the floor seats that I thought I was going to be able to pay fair market value for. Like I did with uh, Reputation and like I did with Loverfest because in a reverse bejeweled, concerts are the only time I don't want to be in the penthouse of her heart. I put me in the basement, put me in the lowest level. Like having floor seats at rep is something that I think about legit, like literally daily. It was a, it was a fleeting moment of such unbridled joy where I smiled ear to ear with what I like to call a roller coaster smile, which is the kind of smile you don't even know that you're doing because your surroundings are so stimulating. Your face is defaulting to a smile. Like your body didn't have time to consult your self-consciousness and you just look like a goof. And that's the thing. I, I don't know. I don't think of life as an invisible string so much as I think of it as a very tangled, visible, cumbersome cord that can be an eyesore. It can be very inflexible at times. But I, I, I think of art as, as or really anything you love as my favorite type of string, the twinkle lights on that string. I, I, no, a concert or an album or whatever the hell it is, is not the crux of our existence. It doesn't cover our physiological needs, nor the is the, is it the power source meaning the most important thing but like the twinkle lights are what illuminate our existence and allow us to light up as we string together our days that can otherwise be quite challenging and the things that light us up i don't think we should have to apologize for and her music is a fun thing to celebrate and to share and to consume and like it's fine that this is a big deal to people this tour is a big deal to us, not only because the last one was canceled and we endured a global pandemic and it'll just be fun and something to like really look forward to. But also it's an era's tour that represents 15 years of our fandom and, and music that has scored our existence, our heartbreaks, our milestones and everything in between. And nobody shames a father and son for doing everything in their power to watch game seven of the World Series together for a team they've worshipped their whole lives. I think of fish shows and and. Grateful Dead shows and Dave Matthews and Bonnaroo. I think of Springsteen fans like. It is okay to be a fan of something and to vehemently want to participate in that fandom in a way that is fair because men do it all the time and we should start calling them fanboys so we can infantilize them in a similar tone of fangirl to retaliate. But the fanboys that are probably telling you to touch grass on TikTok, first and foremost, do not and should never deserve your apology for caring because they are not the authority on what is or is not a valid interest. And they do not understand what it's like to have your interests policed at every turn in our entire lives. And that is why I pretended to like Tarantino movies for so long. My truth is that I hate Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry. I want to I watch How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Is that okay, sir? Is that okay? 
Bonecrusher6969 on TikTok? Give me a break. So I'll get into it, but I just wanted to start by saying there's so many people whose content is is saying that it's not the biggest thing in the world. We know. <laughs> we know. Trump just announced he's running for... Are, are you kidding me? I... I I have, a, I have like a pending ulcer. I can feel pre-gaming, like getting ready for the main event when it, it, it shows itself the next two years when we have to start seeing him in the news cycle again. I, the, we don't focus on these things because they're the biggest thing in the world. We focus on these things because there's so many shitty things that go on in the world and we have so few things to look forward to. And don't let anyone shame you and your friends for caring about not being able to go to your World Series. This is totally valid. Can't eat, can't sleep, reach for the stars, over the fence, World Series kind of stuff. And I chose a quote from It Takes Two because it only takes one person to say they're sorry this was me mishandled to make literally me and everyone else shut up. <laughs> but until, until we have that, I just don't know what else to do. And I think we deserve a safe space to vent. And it doesn't mean we're giving up. It means we want to go so bad that we want to be proven wrong. And... The reason you'll, you keep hearing me get more and more heated as I talk into the mic is because I'm pretty sure the general sale was just canceled because either that or like I got nominated for a Grammy because I don't know why I have so many DMs. Hang on. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. So the, oh, my gosh. The general sales canceled. This is interesting. Due to extraordinarily high demands on ticketing systems and insufficient remaining ticket inventory to meet that demand, tomorrow's public on sale for Taylor Swift, the Ares tour has been canceled. That's what I was, I've been saying. It was a general sale masquerading as a pre-sale. It wasn't a pre-sale. I actually ended up using, a, by accident, an email associated with nothing I've ever bought of hers. I have two Ticketmaster accounts. I must have created the second one. I was trying to get tickets for like reputation. And um, I, when I went back to look at my how much my rep tickets were, I realized, oh, God, I didn't use this email for any of the concerts besides this one. And I got a code, which I'm so grateful for. I know not everybody got one, but it was... Yeah, I'll tell that story later. It just, but clearly based on the aftermarket immediately on StubHub, it was like death by a thousand bots. I'm like, this did not feel exclusive nor like privatized enough to prevent like scalpers and ticket brokers and stuff from infiltrating the system. There's just no way. Um. I think the thing that makes me the most mad is the extraordinarily high demand. Because the thing about demand is that there's a way to forecast demand. And the way you do that is you collect data. And she announced the tour. And then she had everybody sign up for a verified fan on Ticketmaster. So what did they do? They got all of that. The registration closed. And they quite literally demand forecasted from those numbers and added additional cities. They not only were able to demand forecast, they had a level of granularity to understand uh, people's interest in terms of city and which night in that city. And they extended more codes to be given out when she added additional dates. I got a code for an added date. And it's frustrating that everything says unprecedented or historical demand when literally they had everything they needed to be set up for success. And I know that's on Ticketmaster, not Taylor Nation. But the fact that Taylor Nation just retweeted this without comment is honestly shocking. Like, what are this is a this is a mistake. This is a mistake, you guys. Like, I think I was telling you earlier, I, I my tour, I did a mini 10 city tour with small audiences. And literally by the end of it, I was back on an SSRI. It was so stressful. The things everybody demands from you at every turn and them not understanding that there are literally six people 
between you buying a ticket and me getting on stage, it was really frustrating. And I felt personally accountable for all of it. And disappointing people is my nightmare. And there were so many things that were mishandled, whether it was with ticketing, with customer service, with returns, with the team in-house, with security, with seating, uh, and, and anything in between. And all the while, all of those people work with my agent and my manager. And I'm like, I'm, I could not be farther removed from the operation. And you know why that is? It's because people like me get too involved. I have to get back on medication because I really care way too much about what people think. And disappointing people is really, really hard. And you're told not to over-explain why something can or can't happen. And you just have to let it pass. And I really, really do understand. She's not an expert marketer, an expert ticket broker. She, she's not a, a an event promoter. She, she's not involved with the logistics. Like, I don't blame her for the site crashing. I don't, I, I wouldn't even be mad about the demand. I'd say, go you, we're more interested than ever. What frustrates me is that, I don't know, uh, we'll get into it more specifically so I can tell you what I think went wrong in a way that isn't, um, you know, hyperbolic or going in on somebody's character. I just think that some, there were some clear, odd business decisions made that had not been made in previous years that, I found surprising, but I guess I just wanted to start by saying before I found out the pre-sale or the general sale was canceled, um, we're just kind of in this weird spot where I think people really are disappointed and it's valid and then people make fun of Swifties for caring. And then it's like, we're, I don't know, we're just in a weird position of like being so frustrated, but then being made to feel bad for being frustrated. And then like some Taylor Swift fans will shame you for like being mad at her. And it's just like, why do we have to like label it and feel a certain way about our feelings when it's just like chill to be disappointed? The jokes aren't funny. She took the money just to find out she never cared. Like it is like what? It, yeah, it's it's disappointing. And I and I can't wait to be proven wrong. I look forward to it and we'll podcast about it then. But for today, uh, I think it's fair to say that this is took a surprising and disappointing turn that seems like the farthest thing is being representative from how we've felt over the eras and seems to be the product of perhaps her being so big now and detached that she's too big to fail and too big to care about these details. Um, and I know it's not all her fault, but if the Easter eggs have taught us anything, uh, it's that she is known for paying attention to minutia. And I don't expect her to be an expert marketer, promoter, a third party ticketing platform. I don't expect her to be a master of a user experience and to be able to mastermind every part of the operation. That's ridiculous. I think we ask way too much of people in certain contexts, but I do know that she had the ability to turn off things like dynamic pricing. They could have made the VIP package things optional and not price gouge people by withholding so many seats and making the three. 4x markup for VIP mandatory. There were steps taken to artificially inflate the value and to give people no other choice. And that's what's disappointing. The dynamic pricing is disappointing too. And I know that's a lot of people are saying that it didn't exist in their city, but I saw prices fluctuate before my eyes. And I know a lot of people that got kicked out when they were checking out with their carts and they were buying, typically buying something that was close ish to face value got booted, sent to the back of the queue by the time they got back through, either the tickets were gone or they had uh, inflated like th three, four X the price. So 
I I feel like that's not up for debate, but admittedly, if I'm wrong, I'll I'll issue a correction. Um, but let's say that I let's say she didn't do dynamic pricing. I still think the artificial inflation of the value of the tickets with the VIP extras without detailing what those extras were and without preparing us in beforehand with what they were so we could prepare to go in knowing what we wanted to buy. I think that's what is most shitty, regardless of dynamic pricing, because it preys on a scarcity mindset where we're not being savvy consumers making decisions that factor in a lot of different variables so we can be sure to only spend our hard-earned money on things that are valuable to us and worth that price. We're making decisions solely on fear and anxiety out of a scarcity mindset because we're watching the ticket disappear before our eyes and we just become fearful that if we we don't put up the cash on our Capital One credit cards or whatever it is, that we are going to miss out. And that's not new. This is guilt group 101, urgency marketing. That's not just Taylor Swift. I know that that's the name of the game with concerts. No one's saying that the way high demand concerts run is the responsibility of Taylor Swift. What I'm saying is that Taylor Nation could have released so much stuff in advance. They, the prices that were released via Variety, $49 to $4.99, and then $199 to $8.99 for VIP, that isn't what I saw. Even if some people saw that, that's great. That Some people got in early before the East Coast um, issues happened and swiftly got their face value tickets. And that's awesome. Um, but that was not my experience, nor most people I spoke to who only had options for really expensive VIP packages. And Taylor Nation could have said, here's the confirmed stage lay- layout. Here's the seating chart. Here are the VIP options, how they mark up the regular tickets and what the VIP options entail. And yes, no, there is or is not a pit, like among other things, because we can't, if we can't overhaul Ticketmaster and we can't overhaul the scarcity mindset of the ticketing process for a high demand concert, what we can do is walk into it prepared so we're not forced to make decisions that we might regret and or have a pit in our stomach about later because we paid way too much and feel like we got tricked into having to pay an artificial markup for things that are not of actual value to us. And what's so upsetting is that as like a multi-hundred millionaire, probably billionaire after this tour, these, these are such nominal things to her that are like make or break to a lot of us. And I can't even believe now seeing what's part of the VIP packages that that marked up the ticket so severely. It's genuinely upsetting. Have you guys seen what's in these VIP packages? You can find it on Ticketmaster. And yeah, you could have seen this while you're buying tickets, but you would have lost your tickets because you had to act fast. And this was not available beforehand, as far as I know. My argument is not that Taylor is responsible for everything involving the predatory ticketing process and all the Ticketmaster fees and all that shit. That's kind of separate. My issue is we had absolutely no information going into it, and that is absolutely preventable on her team's behalf. And I think is absolutely something that they should address out of good faith customer service because this is not personal. We're not trying to spam her with snake emojis. We're not trying to make her castle crumble overnight. We are people participating in a capitalist market that wants some baseline customer service. And that's it. If that's demanding to Taylor Nation, I don't like call it what you want to. I don't know. I think that it is simply good business and it makes this a fair mutual exchange instead of an incredibly one-sided one, which we've had to deal with since 2017 when comments were turned off and all of the social media channels became just a billboard to market a product toward us that they want us to consume. And we lost the two-way interaction we once had with the person who part of her success, part of what set her apart from other artists is was no 
matter how big she got, she made you feel like your contribution to her success was genuinely valued. And now it feels more like what it is. Not to say it wasn't always this, but it not, didn't always feel this way. We we know it's parasocial. We know we don't know her. We know we are just numbers and marketing for a person will probably never meet <laughs> and whose music we genuinely love because it scored our existence. But something has changed and where I once felt like things were really being made with the fans in mind. It was quite literally a demand driven operation. Um, and it just now feels so solely like a capitalistic one. Some might call it a greedy one um, where we're being leveraged for her to break records, where we're being tricked to buy four vinyls and call it a clock and buy every digital copy and remix under the sun where different songs are on different albums. So you have to buy every single album she has, but even those are withholding the seven songs that are only on streaming. So you stream two, even if you bought the albums, everything we're doing just ser serves as a data point for us to bolster her numbers so she can continue to break records and receive industry accolades that have absolutely nothing to do with us and everything to do with acknowledgement from her peers and institutional awards that I understand are important and she's always been metrics driven, but it really makes it feel like when we've been out here promoting her and marketing for her and talking about her Easter eggs all these years. And we say things like she plays chess, not checkers. You can't blame us for feeling disheartened that this whole time we were the pawns. And I might take all of this back in next week. I might take it back in 12 hours time. I just wanted to express myself in the event you needed to as well, because I find this frustrating. I'll go into some more specific points and, and we will move on shortly. Uh, first, because I too am a capitalist queen who needs to make a buck. This episode is free for you because it is supported by our advertisers and I want to thank a couple of them and then we will get to the rest of the episode. I don't know if a doctor can cure the pit in my stomach, but if you have a legitimate medical concern, look no further than ZocDoc. I, <laughs> I use ZocDoc all the time. After IVF, it really uh, broke the seal for me to use a medical term. And uh, going to see doctors, because now I just like to be an advocate for myself and have information. And through ZocDoc, you can find the right doctor for you in your network and in your neighborhood. One that makes you feel like you're in good hands, you're supported, you're heard. And you can ver verify their legitimacy, their quality, their wait time, their care with actual patient reviews prior to booking the appointment. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun. They're trying to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, or get that mole checked out. I did that recently. Uh, and their mobile app is as easy as ordering a, a ride or, you know, get ordering delivery from a restaurant. Um, you can search, find, and book doctors with a few taps. And if you go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that is right for you, and you can book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Without all the back and forth of the phone, millennials hate phone calls and I hate verifying if they take my insurance. Um, and every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and I'm one of them. It's literally my go-to when I need to find and book a quality doctor. And if you go to ZocDoc.com slash be there in five and download the ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash be there in five. ZocDoc.com slash be there in five. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard me talk quite a bit about my Helix mattresses. I'm obsessed. And Helix has left the bedroom. They entered the living room with all form. I don't know if you've seen me posting more in my living room lately because I got 
of what I learned is called the third layer, which I feel like makes it look a lot more decorated where you add blankets and texture and pillows and books and stuff. Um, I've been posting more of my interior and I have this leather cognac sofa. People ask me where it's from and it's all form. All form has stylish and comfortable, uh, sofas that are scratch and stain resistant, which is huge for a tugboat. They're great for kids, great for pets, but also they're modular. And if you're a renting millennial like me, uh, it's followed me from place to place and I convert it from a sectional to a regular sofa. I broke it into two pieces, have a sofa downstairs, a love seat upstairs. They are designed to be flexible and can grow with the way you live up to an eight seat sectional. It also lets you pick the legs, pick the fabric. And if getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds risky, you don't have to worry because they offer a hundred day risk free file, risk, <laughs> risk free trial, just like Helix, uh, who like they'll legitimately let you spend three months with the sofa. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up. They, they won't like leave you stuck with it. They'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And they have a lifetime warranty option. If your sofa ever breaks, you can repair or replace it forever, ever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash be there in five. Allform is offering 20% off all orders. That's a lot for sofa for our listeners at allform.com slash be there in five. Step up your sofa game today. Allform.com slash be there in five, 20% off. So parts, part of what's crazy about all of this is like, we've, most of us that are like genuinely upset have probably, probably been fans for like literal years. This is, we've gone to several shows, experienced the ticketing process and yes, she gets more popular all the time. Um, but it, it is genuinely wild that you could have had, you know, boosts and hit like the historic precedents attached to your Ticketmaster account. Um, that allegedly mattered, but didn't turn out to matter, um, associated with Loverfest, rep, whatever. You could have had that. Then you could have gotten a code and you could have a Capital One card and still not gotten a ticket. There's countless people that had all of those things that like in now the general pre-sales canceled the date and they've completely lost an opportunity. So there's something really wrong done with the math and the demand forward casting there, which again is on Ticketmaster. Um, but to yeah be very clear about what i think went wrong like i mentioned earlier the uh, dynamic pricing not being turned off the vip options being attached to countless tickets that were mandatory markups and not um optional add-ons the fact that the loverfest ticket holders were absolutely not prioritized they maybe were prioritized in being given a code but not prioritized anywhere in the queue and that i genuinely do think is wrong Team Be There in Five had $1,500 in tickets that Ticketmaster held and probably collected interest on for 18 months during a global pandemic. And I'm in a very privileged position. These were Courtney tickets. We both are, are lucky that we could, you know, weather through 18 months' time while they held on to our money only to ultimately cancel the concert. Um, but it is crazy when you think about having done all of this for Loverfest, having held on to your money for that long during a global pandemic when that amount might have really compromised somebody's well-being. And that's not to say they can't make personal financial decisions. That's to say they booked those before we knew we'd be in a global pandemic and a lot of people lost their jobs and their income changed. I just think that was crazy to hold on to that. And while she's not directly responsible for those refunds, as I also understand the frustration of not being able to control refunds for people that need them for my shows. Um, that's one thing that was terrible for Ticketmaster to do, but the way I think she could have kind of done a make good is by genuine, 
by telling us Loverfest people were prioritized, but then genuinely following through with it. I just think they were prioritized maybe to get a code, though I cannot find proof of that anywhere. So like, and I know everyone's experience is different. You're going to hear different things. It, it really depends on when you got in, what you saw, how fast it went. Um, I only know from what a lot, you guys have told me and from, I had a lot of friends trying to do this as well. And what I was seeing happening with VIP, especially with floor and lower bowl is like, so lower bowl, I think face value, especially since like tickets were going from 49 allegedly announced in variety 49 to 499 uh depending on which seat like lower bowl i would expect to be 199 maybe 299 for a normal art i mean like ed sheeran those were probably 150 re even reselling for 150 which isn't his deal that's a demand thing but like i've been to enough concerts there where i know that it doesn't cost 599 dollars for a ticket so the only so okay just to like back up for a second. Um, so the only one of my friends that got a code for Chicago where we live was Courtney, my manager and the engine of be there in five. Um, I thought, Oh, maybe Loverfest people are being prioritized because it was under her account that they held and collected interest on our Loverfest dollars. Um, but she set up shop at 9am, you know, did the whole thing waited waiting room like lobby whatever gets in the queue 2000 people in front of her like waits the first hour on, of the east coast it crashes we don't we don't know what happens we there's no information eventually ticketmaster says they had deposit they had to push back the west coast states they pushed back the capital one presale for the next day so on and so forth so the, she starts at like 9 a.m tickets go allegedly on sale at 10 she finally gets through at about two to from two to three p.m. and she adds tickets for the lower bowl for five hundred ninety nine dollars and there are no other options that are non VIP. So for those seats, I would t I, again for a normal artist they would be well under two hundred. For Taylor Swift, I could see her being up to three hundred, and I am fine if she wants to charge higher prices to minimize bots and brokers. So that the share majority share of the margin isn't going to those in the aftermarket. That's what she did was with rep and she was criticized for how expensive her tickets were. However, they were genuinely using a verified fan process in a big, big way that was attached to like different boosts and things you could get that some were attached to money, which sucks, but they were doing free things too. And that was a genuine verified fan process that did not have a ton of bots involved where they marked up the prices slightly from normal face value. So the, you know, touring company and Taylor and the people working would capture majority of the margin, which I think is really great, by the way. Um, but those tickets didn't all sell out. They, they didn't sell through the way they expected they, that they would. And I don't know if people remember that. So this verified ticket process did was not actually because, again, I used an email that I never bought anything of hers with. Um, they, there was no like way to verify a fan. It was just one step one more step of like a login and a sign up you had to do that literally anybody on the planet could have done. And it seemed like a lottery for the, the codes. At least that's what it seems to me. Um, but I don't know. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the only option Courtney had that we were eyeing for seats was lower bowl, $599. There were no non VIP in the 100 sections in at soldier field. And when she got, went to the, her cart to check out, she got booted and sent back to the queue 
by the time she got back through, the tickets were completely sold out. But I know a lot of people that happened to that the tickets inflated in price by that time. Um, and even then we were so like nervous that we just like gave her permission to like get whatever and we'd figure it out, like, which is crazy too, because I did not want to pay $600 for those tickets because on the back end, come to find out, which we didn't have time to be researching when it was going on. Um, here's what came in the VIP packages that marked up the tickets 3X. And this is, to me, this is Taylor Nation's choice, not Ticketmaster, because you can make VIP optional odds, optional add-ons, and you can opt out of dynamic pricing. There is, people do not know if she opted, people do seem to think that not all of it was dynamic pricing. I personally do. But even if you think that it was not, you have to agree that it's insane to make all the 100 level tickets available, only VIP. And this is what they entail at 3X markup. Special edition set of four Taylor Swift prints. Okay. Each set contains a hand-numbered print designed for your show and city. What? I don't care. I, don't, I wouldn't pay money for that. VIP priority check-in and separate VIP entrance. If 80% of the tickets are that, how is that special? Uh, early venue entry, crowd-free VIP merchandise shopping opportunity. Okay. Um, commemorative Eras Tour VIP tote bag. Taylor Swift pin, sticker, and postcard set. And a souvenir ticket. Special commissioned LED VIP tour laminate operates interactive wearable at the show, but everyone got that for free at the last two shows. That's it. Basically, what you're paying for is to get in early and to get a pin, a sticker, a postcard set, and prints that I don't want or need. Like, I, that is not worth $400. Like, that's crazy, you guys. It's crazy. And every single one of the VIP options, I was reading from the Karma is my boyfriend package, but all of those packages say that on Ticketmaster's website once I looked into it. So it'd be one thing if it was like, I, I, even if I, I was entered into a raffle to go back into the Eros room, like there are countless things that I would enjoy, but I'm just, I'm not like a child going on a field trip to a marine science museum. I just, <laughs> like the people spending our time trying to get these tickets spending our money we have a lot less of than you to put more money in your pocket that's nominal to you by the way but a 300 dollars markup is a big deal to your average person and you're giving them nothing of tangible value it, it's it regardless of dynamic pricing the vip markups were a misstep and i find them to be a major greedy cash grab that is an unsavory look for team swift whether or not that was her personal decision or not these are the things that i would want uh, a level of visibility into if this was my hundreds of millions of dollars and my tour representing my name and my fans experience in who my career rides on the backs of <sighs> but i don't want to be on a high horse a high white horse i i, I understand that this is a business and she's got to make money and that touring's expensive. And I know that artists and touring companies and their supporting staffs are having trouble with margins given being shut down, the hectic nature of planning, you know, years worth of tours into one year, dealing with inflation like the rest of us. Like, I know that the margin has to be substantial. I just don't think it has to be this way relative to pricing from what I've seen from other people and their ability to prioritize fan experience and to make some of these things optional 
It just seems like something Taylor would have done if she really cared. But as with the Midnight's rollout and the four vinyls and the clocks and promoting an anti-hero remix today, all like honestly, this is just all about accolades, awards, and industry recognition anymore. And it's really not about us. I have a theory that I think a lot of people have this theory. Um, remember how she wanted a doctorate degree because Ed Sheeran had an honorary doctorate degree? She said in jo- like a kind of as a joke in passing. And I'm sure she was kidding, but I'm kind of not kidding when I think she wants to. One of the only records she hasn't broken is in terms of highest grossing tour. She's like number 11 or something. And you know who's number one is Ed Sheeran, uh, who broke over a billion dollars and his highest for the Divide tour. That is the highest grossing tour of all time. I genuinely think that's what she's after. And that's why I find this to be just another uh, pursuit of accolades. And I think that's part of it that's hard, too, is um, I didn't finish my thought, but. um, Oh, I'll get back to the the concert. I don't think people are like that. If you want to hear about everyone's miserable experiences, you can go on TikTok. Um, But basically. Like Courtney and I are like self-employed. And it's, you know, for us to spend our time is one thing, but for people to have like taken off work, they spent their whole day, they spent multiple days on this. It just like makes me sad. And I'm sorry for you to have a disappointing experience. I know a lot of people were willing to invest the time it took knowing that like people expected lines, people expected a long queue. We've all done, we've seen this film before, but this was a different ending. And I think that the volume of people that got booted once they were checking out and the volume of people that waited for hours and hours only to get into the ticket sale platform and for there to be literally nothing left or only VIP or to and what happened to me was I clicked endlessly. I was probably in there for like 20 minutes and everything I clicked said somebody had already taken it. So it got to a point where I was frustrated and nervous and bought something I didn't even want for like seats that I'm pretty sure have an obstructed view. Again, it's like I, I'm not saying this because I'm mad I didn't get tickets. I'm fortunate to have gotten tickets regardless of like where and when they are. And the West Coast process was so I mean, the East Coast folks really got screwed in this. West Coast had a lot of the kinks smoothed out. But the thing that wasn't smoothed out were, was the VIP markup, the dynamic pricing and um, how the tickets like somehow miraculously were almost sold out instantaneously, despite allegedly this process being designed to prevent like bots and brokers and non fans. It was, it was kind of a crazy thing to be like, Oh my God, I'm like so nervous right now and nothing's available. Like I'm putting things in my cart that are like totaling 3,500. Like, no, I can't, I'm not going to spend 3,500. That's crazy it, for, for postcards. Like and this is the pre-sale, the whole perk, the whole point is tickets at face value. It was so upsetting. So yeah, I paid over $1,000 for three tickets and seats that aren't that good. And I don't feel good after it because I don't even know what they include. I think they were VIP something because i that's all I could see. But I actually don't even know. When I go to my tickets on Ticketmaster, it says like I have to wait or they'll be available later or something. I don't even know what I bought. Um, and I'm laughing. And I know it's a really privileged take to not have, be decimated by doing that. But like, it doesn't I'm still disappointed and, and not happy having spent that money. Because in pre, like to give context, we had t- we had floor tickets, we had three floor tickets for Loverfest. And the total was 900 floor, like very good aisle floor for Loverfest from the presale. For rep, I paid $172 for two tickets that were in the 400s, but that's like normal plus fees for two tickets in the nosebleeds. And I know a lot of people that paid 
three, four hundred dollars plus for nosebleeds. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine in the aftermarket if you want to pay and you didn't prioritize it. But if you like took the time, took off work, waited in the queue for hours, were a verified fan, have bought tickets to all of our shows before and or had a Capital One card, did everything right to still pay that stupid aftermarket style markup at the presale, especially if it included a bunch of stuff you were forced to buy that you didn't want, like a postcard. It's really bad business and it's just not personal to Taylor. We're not haters going to hate, hate, hate. If there is no explanation, there will just be a reputation of you not giving a shit about any of us because other artists don't do this. You're like what that's what's frustrating is what sets her apart is the way she allegedly cares about her fans. But what is setting this situation apart for those of us super fans that go to a lot of concerts is that this is the least care and attention to detail of anybody that I've ever seen devoted to fans in a presale. Um, and she still hasn't said anything and it's just, it's crazy. So I know a lot of you had that experience and I know this is probably frustrating for those of you that weren't even able to find tickets. Um, I think that most people aren't in my position where I can, you know, organize with friends and figure out who has clothes and we can spend our time strategizing. And then I can wait all day for the West coast delay and wait again for the second one. And then wait again to get through the queue and then to go through all the tickets. Like I, who has that kind of time? Like me, but I know a lot of you don't. And I'm just sorry that um, you spent so much of your week expelling your energy toward this to, to, for many, no outcome, no positive outcome whatsoever. Because like, I genuinely am shook that the general sale is totally done. So um, that's like unprecedented, right? Oh, Ticketmaster released a statement. Let me read it. Hold on. Well, their CEO tweeted 14 million people tried to buy tickets and they gave out codes for one and a half million. But how does that make sense if you couldn't buy? You were sent. What? So people got that many people got on the site anyway without a code because you had to type in the code. To, what? I'm no Kornacki, but that doesn't. The mental math isn't there for me. Whatever. I don't feel like wasting my time on math. Gross. <laughs> Just kidding. Neither does Ticketmaster, apparently. Okay, apparently this is him on CNBC, the CEO of Ticketmaster. Is there a way to get around this? Is there a way to avoid this where everybody's, you know, I got a 17-year-old daughter. She's pissed. (laughs) I apologize to your daughter and I apologize to all our fans. We are working hard on this. And again, you know, building capacity for peak demand is something we attempt to do, but this exceeded every expectation. And the reality is Taylor Swift hasn't been on the road three or four years and that's caused a huge issue for me yeah. since her last album well you're right uh, I mean, live nations benefited obviously from this all right but you're <laughs> see that's not fair either like we were in a pandemic it's not her fault she wasn't touring and also i don't want to i do do not do not as a I, I never want to suggest that the solution here is for somebody to exhaust themselves torque nonstop, and i'm not demanding that she meet the unequivocal demand of her fans that's you know that's life you can't get a ticket to everything always i just think that there were elements of this that were predatory there was some math that was really poorly calculated um and the canceling of sale with no commentary from team swift is is genuinely shocking um so yeah what do i think could have been done i think that they should have communicated what our options were up front so people could have gone in prepared and not felt like they had to spend a ton of money or else they completely lose out. Um, I think that the boost should have actually applied to the Ticketmaster accounts and especially Loverfest ticket holders should have been prioritized because they 
held their money for 18 months and then canceled the show. And I really do think it would have been cool to give them priority. And I believe they said that that would happen and it didn't. Um, I don't think there was any verification of fandom whatsoever other than creating a login name. I think clearly still a lot of bots or not bots. But I don't know. I never checked to actually, I, I literally like you can't buy a futon on walmart.com without confirming you're not a robot. I never once had to confirm I'm not a robot to this entire practice dedicated to fighting robots. So I do find that confusing. <laughs> and did I just buy a futon on walmart.com? Unfortunately, um, but clearly somehow a ton of I just do like if, look at any stadium right now on StubHub packed to the gills with available tickets marked up minima, minimum quintuple <laughs> what they were paid for. The seats I was looking at at Soldier Field are like over a thousand dollars and their face value should be like well under 200. And the worst part, part is the scarcity mindset seeps into our brain where I saw like Inglewood seats, like floor seats that were, I don't know, 1200. And I texted Courtney saying, Eh, this isn't that bad. And she was like, no, they've gotten to you. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. On what planet? That 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 is the cost of an anthropology primrose me. The purchase I recently made that I have debilitating anxiety about that I cannot get into right now. Um, <laughs> I found I found on that Honey website, I, could, I think it was a 40% off coupon that was like a one-off fluke and it, and it worked and I was just buying shams. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to work on the mirror? And it did work, but it's still 40% off that mirror is more than I wanted to spend on that mirror. It's it's not important. Me talking about these frivolous purchases or I need to take a long look at the mirror. Um, I, I just am trying to decorate a blank space in my home. And I just it, I've been thinking about that mirror for, I don't know, seven, eight months. And I'm just like, I need to just I need to just do it. But it's just it's it's a purchase. It's literally 200 pounds requires special delivery. And if you don't like it, you're it's yours. <laughs> you made your bed now lie in it. When will my reflection show who I am inside, who I am inside? is a shallow monster who needed a seven-foot mirror in her home. Anywho. Okay, Ticketmaster statement. If I were Taylor, I'd be so pissed by the chairman's comments. Also, the Live Nation CEO's comp package in 2017 was like something like $17 billion. Like these, the corporate greed, I, I, it, it knows no bounds. It's so irritating. Okay, I just saw a TikTok comment that said her team confirmed there was no dynamic pricing. Again, regardless, the the VIP thing was out of hand. And I told you guys what those tickets include. And the fact that, I don't know, at least my friends that I know waited their entire day to get to a queue, have their only options be VIP that are way overinflated the prices relative to fucking postcard, and then only to probably be kicked out and sent to the back of the queue. I mean, like. The whole thing's a mess on both of their behalves is my point. The VIP was a miss. It was a miss. And honestly, what I thought was going to happen, I, I was going to be beside myself if the diehard Swifties, aka the ones with the pre-sale codes, were the ones being preyed upon for the VIP sections. And then those were going to be allegedly sold out. And then the regular seats would I, I would I would have been beside myself. Um, OK, so the statement from Ticketmaster. No, it's gone. It says 404 page. Not found. Okay, Courtney sent me this Taylor Swift on sale explained, and now it's gone. I wonder what it said. Okay, Courtney sent me one screenshot that said, despite the d disruptions, Swifties powered through and helped. Taylor set a new record. The freaking records. 
Over 2 million tickets were sold for Taylor's shows on November 15th, the most tickets ever sold for an artist in a single day. Literally, I don't care. Every ticket was sold to a buyer with a verified fan code. Nobody, not even a bot. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. All every if you look at StubHub, every stadium is 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 it's a full spread of for sale tickets for ungodly markups by people that it's hard to believe it would be that many Swifties. I mean, I think some, sure, but like I don't know. Um, it just it seems like people. I it just seems like something fishy was happening where some people that like work with Ticketmaster on some other way were able to get a hold of a ton. Uh, but I, there's just no way everybody's a verified fan. This was death by a thousand bots, unequivocally. <laughs> Over two million tickets. Nobody, not even a bot could join a queue without being verified. But all that meant was you registered your email and said you wanted to go. It had nothing to do with the boost or actually being a verified fan. So they should not call it verified fan. They should just call it person with a Ticketmaster login because we want to mine their data. 90% fewer tickets are currently posted for resale in secondary markets than a typical on sale, which is exactly why the artist team wanted to use verified fan. Beyond Taylor's on sale, we also sold another 1 million tickets for other events across our site Tuesday. The biggest venues and artists turn to us because we have the leading ticketing technology in the world. That doesn't mean it's perfect. No, that's because you, it's because you have a monopoly. When a high demand on sale goes flawlessly from a tech perspective, many fans are left empty handed. For example, based on the volume of traffic to our site, Taylor would need to perform over 900 stadium shows, almost 20x the number of shows. Nobody's asking her to tour nonstop. Literally, we've done this a million times with other shows and it's been okay. <laughs> I, what, can't you make tickets non-transferable? When we, for some of my shows, again, not the same, but we worked with Dice, which is one of the few innovators that have been able to go up minimally against Ticketmaster. And I loved it because they let people return so I didn't want people to be able to sell track five tickets again. Not that it's a hot commodity. Um, I w wanted them to return them to the site and then they would uh, be offered to somebody off of the wait list who had a certain amount of time to buy it. And then they went to the next person. And I think that makes sense and is fair. And I, I know you can't do that for large scale stadium uh, situations, but companies like Ticketmaster suck because it benefits them for the ticket to pass through their platforms or their subsidiaries that are resale sites endlessly because every time they collect these ridiculous junk fees off of it Ticketmaster is like a corrupt business period at the end and we'll get to that but i'm just trying to figure out this math here because general sales canceled it won't be rescheduled right um and then they took down the statement but now i'm trying to figure out what the statement said i guess the thing i wasn't okay i'm not considering here if we are going to do some mental math if they sent out 1.5 million codes dude i really want to find that statement Ugh. I had it earlier and then I rambled. I I, sh I should have known. Let me out. Oh, Courtney has a screenshot. Ah, thank God for our boots on the ground correspondent, one Courtney Heath, who had to suffer in the trenches trying to get tickets <laughs> to no avail. <laughs> Hang on. No, that's not the sound of a ticketing company pocketing your life savings. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, which is exciting because that means money in your pocket. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. I have a merch site. You go to be there in 5com and go to podcasts and shop merch. 
all powered by Shopify, all built by me. And we're getting ready uh, and designing a new merch rollout. And I couldn't do it without Shopify. I'm not blowing smoke. This is something that I've relied on ever since my doormat days. Because you can create an online store that is your vibe, your aesthetic, in a very easy user experience, allows you to not only design it, but discover new customers, um, grow a following that helps them come back, integrate across sales channels, not only having an all-in-one e-commerce platform, but also having the ability to do um, point of sale. And whether you're selling vintage teas or, or recipes, whatever it is, if you sell with Shopify and join the platform, you are simplifying commerce that millions of your favorite businesses worldwide uh, have used as well. And you can't even always tell it's Shopify because they allow it to be so customizable to your store and your needs and your aesthetic. And thanks to their 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, they've got you covered every step of the way. And while you don't need to monetize all of your hobbies, let's say you want to afford more concert tickets. Um, if you want to uh, launch your thing, whatever it is into the spot, spotlight, do it with Shopify. I did. That's how I you know, managed to be self-employed all these years. And it's a commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. So you can try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash be there in five, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash be there in five to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash be there in five, all lowercase. One of the other glowing bright spots on the twinkle light uh, stirring of life is Steak Sunday, a tradition in my house that I encourage those of you carnivores to uh, practice in yours. It's Sunday scaries are tough, but getting your week start out with a butcher box steak is, I don't know, kind of a way to make it feel fancy going into a Monday, a thing of luxury, which is the opposite of how I usually feel on the inside, says the self-employed person. You know you have problems if you have Sunday scaries and you're self-employed. I'm like, my boss really sucks. Anyway, ButcherBox takes a guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. You mainly raise no antibiotics or added hormones. The thing is, Black Friday deals, I don't know, I'm, I kind of have tuned out, but ButcherBox does have an amazing deal that is actually usable, not on like a gadget you may or may not use or a gift you're giving somebody else, but on like protein you'll actually consume that will keep your fridge and, or rather freezer stocked up with uh, what you need and they have a really great deal I'm going to tell you about. ButcherBox has a range of high quality cuts that are hard to come by at the grocery store at an amazing value. I don't know if you've seen the markup with things like grass fed, but it can be frustrating. And they also have recipe inspiration and guides and tips and, and hacks so you can cook up mouthwatering meals. But it's just honestly, for me, convenient. You get what you want delivered to your doorstep. I always have something to eat in my freezer. There's free shipping in the continental U.S. and no surprise fees, unlike some people. And you choose, sorry, that's just, I don't know why I'm going to get in trouble for making my ads about ticketing. Um, choose from a variety of box plan options from curated to customized and change whenever you want. And this Black Friday, ButcherBox is offering our listeners one of their be best steak deals. Get two 10-ounce ribeyes free in every box for a whole year when you join, plus an additional $10 off. I don't know, it's kind of a good gift, no? For people that you want to have food stocked in their freezer. Wow. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five. That's free ribeyes for a year plus $10 off at butcherbox.com slash be there in five with code be there in five. The pro like she could make attempt to fix it by allocating the, like she could mine the ticket master data, give the remaining held out seats to people that weren't able to buy tickets with that were verified 
that didn't get the boost that they were told they would with Loverfest tickets or I don't know, whatever previous boosting activity. But then that doesn't help solve the issue of who got like price gouged and only offered VIP versus who didn't like who felt forced into like a garbage ticket that they didn't want. Um, and like if, so it's like, if you already did get a ticket, that's cool, but it's probably a situation that left a pit in your stomach. And like, you maybe would have benefited from like the second round if that would have ever happened. But I don't know if that will happen because now that I'm actually doing the math, maybe they, they genuinely did completely oversell it. Corny just sent me a spreadsheet. Somebody made on Reddit that has the city, the max venue capacity, the number of days and the total seats, which is about 4 million. So actually that would mean they did sell the entire capacity and there wouldn't be anything left, but on what planet do you sell all the seats in the presale? I don't think that's normal. I learned that the hard way for some of the track fives. I want Patreon patrons like who pay to have priority, but I don't, you don't want like some, if there's a requirement to access a presale, you don't want that to completely squelch any um, opportunity to buy from the general market, just, you know, to be fair. Um, but if there's 4 million full capacity, max capacity of these venues, and let's say, I don't know what, like a quarter of the seating is behind the stage with the exception of my tickets that are are possibly breathing new life into be there in five. I'm running behind. I'm running behind the stage. I won't be able to see anything. Um, then that I get, maybe they did sell at capacity, you guys. No, but then you gain the floor, which is not included in the capacity of like a football stadium. I don't know. Kate Kornacki is retiring. I I'm not good at, I can't do the mental math. I never said this would be right. I never said this would be well researched. I just said I would try to do something quickly for once. <laughs> and this is what you're getting. Okay, I'm going to briefly snorkel the Monopoly. The, the problem is I could do this all night. I told my husband I would go go to dinner with him. Um, I could do this all night, but it's going to keep changing. So please just know I know that I know that we know they know we know. I, this episode is no shelf life whatsoever. I'll probably pay for this. Is <laughs> Karma is a cat purring in my lap, not because it loves me, because I'm allergic. And that is actually my nightmare situation. Honestly, like. The more that the more Ticketmaster does and deletes and says, and we like try to figure out how this happened, the the more it's people are just going to be mad at Ticketmaster. And then I think Taylor's going to come out and be like, Ticketmaster sucks. I don't know if she can, but like, I, I think there's going to be, I think at first fans were getting more comfortable with being like, this is disappointing Taylor Swift. But now if people go harder, Taylor Swift fans are probably going to be like, no, don't pile on. No, no, no. And then kind of back down. And then she's probably like her team will maybe eventually position it as something that like was Ticketmaster's fault. And then like, I don't know, but they're kind of saying it's Taylor's fault for being too popular. I mean, being too popular, if that isn't a person eating alone at lunch in middle school's dream, uh, she is filling the empty lunch tables of her past. We are filling the credit card bills of our future. Anywho. Okay. If you aren't familiar, let me just read from an LA Times article so I don't misspeak. It says, when President Obama was deciding in 2009 whether to approve a merger between the world's largest concert promoter, Live Nation, and the biggest ticket provider, Ticketmaster. So, yeah, Live Nation, largest concert promoter, largest live like live event promoter. They did some of my shows. Uh, biggest ticket provider, Ticketmaster. A group of bipartisan lawmakers pleaded with his administration to block the deal. The coalition, which included this person writing it, understood that the joint company would strangle competition in live entertainment. Obama's top antitrust regulator at the time, then Assistant Attorney General Christine Varney, reassured critics that there will be enough air and sunlight in the space for strong competitors to take root, grow, and thrive. 
The merger waived, was waived through and became final in 2010. It's impossible to understand Ticketmaster's actual monopoly power without understanding that it's owned by Live Nation. Live Nation has a monopoly over promoting the biggest touring acts and securing them branded sponsorships in the process. Artists who don't work with Live Nation risk losing the best venues and calendar dates and the revenue that go with them. Live Nation uses this power over artists and venues who want the best acts to make sure its company, Ticketmaster, has an equally strong monopoly over ticket sales. Put simply, if a venue wants the best acts, they play ball with Live Nation artists and event promotions and have Ticketmaster handle their ticket sales. And Ticketmaster, like the way they make all that money is through all those fees, like me buying three tickets yesterday. And somehow I think I almost paid $400 in fees <laughs> to, to go to what? And we know from John Oliver's special that Ticketmaster positions itself as the formal bad guy saying, we negotiate those fees with the venues, promoters, and artists. They all get a cut of it. They all get a kickback. And people only know to point fingers at us. But that's what we do. We act as this middleman. They're kind of acting like they're on their vigilante shit by getting the venues, promoters, and artists the cash they need by charging these fees that it looks like Ticketmaster pockets, but actually everybody's getting a kickback of. So theoretically, Taylor, like Team Taylor, Corporate Taylor, her touring company, her management, whatever, um, pro- they likely negotiated what they what kind of kickback they would get of these fees. I haven't done the math to know if they're disproportionate to other concerts I've paid for, because honestly, I don't have to usually get tickets the in the presale because no, most artists aren't this difficult to get tickets for. Uh, so I don't really know. But let me read like a modern article. This is from Marketplace.org. How did Ticketmaster get so big and why does it have so few competitors? Every time a big artist goes on tour, fan complains, fans complain about the service charges. Those fees are key to Ticketmaster's story. They're how the company quartered the market 40 years ago when then new CEO Fred Rosen went to venues and promoters and said, let's double the service fees on event tickets. And they said, why would we want to do that? And then Fred said, well, if you do that, Ticketmaster will share the revenues with you. Before that, venues and promoters subsidized service fees. Having the ticket buyer foot the bill Help Ticketmaster. Oh, I see. So the venues and promoters subsidized the service fees, not the buyer. But the ticket buyer footed the bill when Ticketmaster came around, and they convinced eighty percent of large venues in the U.S. to sign exclusive deals. Then, when it merged with an events promoter and venue operator called Live Nation in 2010, its position got even stronger. You have this one company that has its has management clients that owns venues, that owns a ticketing company, and is promoting the shows. You can see why it might be problematic. A lawsuit filed earlier this year accuses Live Nation of refusing to book its artists at venues that don't use Ticketmaster. So starting a competitor like a competitor would be tough. Ticketmaster has invested in technology that, despite the Taylor Swift crash, usually keeps things running smoothly and helps keep scalper bots away. I mean, you know, selling millions of tickets in an hour is not easy. That's fair. Basically, people are saying Taylor Swift should be able to like sir- skirt this. But there's nobody big enough to say no to Ticketmaster. Pearl Jam tried and failed in the 90s. Oh, yeah, that's right. They had to play like fairground venues because they didn't want to work with Ticketmaster. Honestly, I don't care. I'd like, it would always be funny if we like (laughs) had to take over obscure large outdoor venues. So, you know, the weather's a problem. Security's a problem. She has fake face, face recognition technology. She needs the security and the infrastructure. So I also understand why she's working with professional stadiums. I get it. And I don't, I I honestly just wish I just wanted to say something because this is all getting really confusing now. I actually remember we were at, there was, there were a lot of people that offered things like places they worked or backyards and like stuff that was so kind for track five, but like there has to be formality around ticketing 
around returns, around credit card processing. There has to be security. There has to be food and beverage that is licensed. Uh, there has to be, you know, separate space for their performer and their team. There has to be tech. There has to be AV. There has to be insurance. Like there, you know, as nice as it is to assume this could go on in a casual place, like it, it, these venues are needed for a reason. And when you have control over 80% of the venues um, and then those venues work with Live Nation, I mean, like n people really just don't have options here is the point. And this is why it's a problem and why I'm amazed it ever passed antitrust investigations. And it still should be under investigation because it's really an unethical price gouging that it seems like maybe inside the industry, there are plenty of places that are okay with it because they revenue share those fees, but it's deeply unethical and unfair to the consumer to have to foot the bill for arbitrary fees that are just designed to put more money in people's pockets that aren't actually serving anything, right? I don't know, guys. I'm not an expert on this. This is from NPR in, uh, earlier in August. Bruce Springsteen has built his reputation being a man of the people. That's part of why his fans are especially aghast at the ticket prices for his tour. Dynamic pricing is why. It's a relatively new pricing system used by live events company Ticketmaster that sets price based on demand. The more people in line for tickets, the higher the prices go. Bruce Springsteen, Harry Styles, Taylor Swift, and other artists have taken advantage of the system. It puts more money in their pockets rather than those of scalpers, but many fans aren't happy with the ballooning costs. Live Nation, Ticketmaster's parent company, owns concert venues, promotes tours, blah, 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 leaves little room for competition, hurting fans, artists, and the industry at large. Is Live Nation a monopoly? Who would that hurt? And what's being done to address it? Find out in the episode. Well, I don't have time for that. People are listening to mine. <laughs> if you want to, that's, that's uh, NPR 1A 40-minute episode from August 2022, if you want to listen to that. Exciting. Um, let's see. There's a book called Ticket Masters, The Rise of the Concert Industry and How the Public Got Scalped. I don't love that verb. This is a Forbes article that says, can the power of Taylor Swift and her fan base finally topple Ticketmaster's monopoly? IDK. I mean, that'd be cool if we could draw attention to it. I, I think, you know. Okay. It took more than two days, five hours, and 30 minutes and at least two email registrations and a Ticketmaster text message code for my friend and I to finally secure Taylor Swift tickets. The yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that took a lot of time. The millions of other fans who experienced site crashes, ongoing technical issues, and sold out notification screens after hours long waits were not so lucky. Oh, and in that Ticketmaster message they deleted, they said only 15% of people experienced technical difficulties. And I do think 14 of those percents were experienced by Courtney Heath, if that's the case. I don't think that's legit. There's no way. I don't know. I, I, I have access to a focus group, a cross section of individuals. And the number of people that didn't have problems was the exception, not the rule. The backlash to the disastrous launch was immediate with fans complaining on social media about the sustained site glitches, dynamic pricing model, extra ticketing fees, and Ticketmaster's sustained stronghold over the live music industry. But Swift, unlike Pearl Jam, who tried to take a stand, commands one of the biggest and most dedicated fan bases in the world. Do you think we're... I, I'd say BTS is probably like the quintessential don't F with us fandom. But Swifties are good at like Easter eggs and details. Thank God, because obviously not a woman in STEM here. There's a lot of background we don't necessarily need. 
I don't know if I can add value to this discussion, guys, but yeah, watch the John Oliver special. Basically, the fees sound arbitrary. It's gone on for way too long. They they apparently found that they don't limit competition enough for it to be considered a monopoly, but it sounds like it's pretty damn close. And maybe this will actually move the needle somehow. I want to highlight a post Emily in your phone shared. She said, Live Nation's Ticketmaster owns more than 70% of the live events ticketing market. That's because in 2010, the DOJ allowed the two companies to merge. And with that monopoly power, they charge high fees, aren't incentivized, aren't, aren't, are not incentivized to have a competitive product, the website, and increase ticket prices even after they are put in your cart. Swifties deserve better, which is kind of her to say, because I know for a fact, I, I'm pretty sure she's not a Swiftie. And somebody put in a question box once to her, if, how are you a Beth if you're not a Swiftie? And I'd like to just say on the record, you do not need to be a Swifty to be a part of this community. My God, I am honored and privileged that non-Swifties give me the time of day and are willing to uh, come enjoy the other parts of it because certain seasons of this podcast are very Swift heavy. Um, we don't need to all like the same things, but I think we can appreciate taking a similar approach to anything, right? We don't, who, who, I hate this because I hate the word yum because it reminds me of Rachel Ray saying yummo, which is more offensive than Emerald saying bam, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I, I do like the, the don't yuck someone's yum mantra because it's true. Like, can't we all just find our joy in this one wild and precious life? What is that quote? What are you going to do? What, what will you do with this one wild and precious life? Nothing of of importance to the greater world, but of importance to me personally is watching 65,000 people do the bejeweled strut when they have ultimately no room to strut. Oh. <laughs> I think it's going to be really entertaining. <laughs> okay, then she says, oh, she offers scripts, scripts for somebody in the Senate, script somebody in the House. She offers an American Economic Liberties Project issue overview, how antitrust enforcers helped create a live events monster. An event ticket sales market characteristics and consumer protection issues report, et cetera. Very helpful post. And I think, I mean, you know, I'm ending an episode uncharacteristically early. I'm going to do the credit card feature on Patreon just because I want to get this up tonight. Um, and this is the length of normal podcasts, but, you know, this is a be there in five special report. And ultimately all that can be, I mean, do I think Taylor Nation should say something? And I don't want that blame of Ticketmaster. I don't want for her accountability, her team. I, I don't know what is her, honestly. Like, I do not know how removed she is. Um, but I don't want it to get lost that they did make some choices with those VIP packages. And I, I that are a post, a postcard. Dear reader, I don't want a fucking postcard. I'm sorry. I'm still mad. The money is spent. I feel like I want to call this episode Death by a Thousand Bots because I like the wordplay better than maybe like a ticket mastermind because you know i don't that would suggest it's all her fault but I, I, technically i don't know if there were bots you guys so you know at the be there in five podcast we forego accuracy for wordplay just want to make that clear uh i think taylor nation should say something at least acknowledge it what's probably going to happen is it's going to be blamed on Ticketmaster. uh at first i was like oh she's probably going to do something with the withheld tickets but it sounds like Ticketmaster legitimately oversold Maybe she'll add more shows. But the thing is, if that was genuinely their mistake, I don't think they like that kind of suck. She should be able to perform the amount of shows she wants to. And I don't 
want to demand more labor. These shows are grueling and expensive. And like, I don't think you should have to tour endlessly to, to meet our demand. I just think it should be a fair process. And we've seen that happen with countless shows. And I haven't gotten good seats to every show. Uh, we miss out on things all the time. And sometimes we do get gouged in the aftermarket. Like nobody said that uh, getting tickets to a concert was easy. Nobody said it would necessarily be fair, but I don't think that it should be uh, completely unethical and arbitrary in the name of corporate greed, in the name of potentially artist greed. And I think if you are going to benefit from uh, allegedly having this close relationship with your fans to the point where you're still doing Easter eggs, still you know profiting off of our endless marketing and support, um, this is honestly too, also a fandom that feels like if they speak out against her, they will get punished because there's have been there's been evidence of that before. Look at her no longer participating on Tumblr, you know, by doing stuff like secret sessions that haven't been done since Rep, right? Like they, they weren't they didn't exist for Lover as far as I know. And obviously not for the pandemic albums or this one. But she's like brilliant. But I think we're getting to the point where we're a little over the masterminding because we're not stupid. Like we know what you're doing with the VIP markup. We know that people are too afraid to speak out because they feel like they'll get punished and they won't get in. No, no one from Taylor Nation will engage with them. But I think at this point, it's been long enough since Taylor Nation's been able to meaningfully engage that maybe a lot of us don't care. But I think people like me that speak about her positively all the time set the tone for how we respond to being kind of mistreated and exploited. And I do appreciate other mega fans that are willing to say this is wrong. That Like, this doesn't feel good. This should have been better handled on both of their behalfs. And I do think that's important. And just like from like a leadership standpoint, because there are a lot of people out there that do not have the time and money to waste on this and um, that are dealing with hard shit that they're looking forward to this concert or buy, being able to buy tickets for their kids or being able to share it with their friends or loved ones. Like this will mean a lot to people. This is some people's world series and that's totally fine. And it's totally fair to be disappointed. And I think it could have been better handled. And I don't want to pile on or be cruel or demand unnecessary labor. I just want like a smidge of accountability, but I don't think we'll get that. I was reading from a bunch of things earlier and I, I screenshot like an answer from Quora. So admittedly, I don't know the accuracy of this because it's fa it's like consumer sourced. But it said, if you want to reduce the activities of like these type of ticket companies, one, lobby government for more informed regulation and enforcement. Two, scrutinize and work to break the links between secondary resellers and large primary ticketers. I wish I knew how to do that. Three, increase the direct-to-fan primary ticket sales through anti-secondary reseller organizations. Four, use honest ticket exchange platforms like TicketSwap for selling your unwanted ticket or buying a ticket for a sold-out show. Five, increase cooperation between fans, performers, industry, professionals, events, organizers, venues, and smaller startup companies with innovative ticketing solutions. And I, I'm not, that's why I was saying I really did like, I think we had a pretty positive experience with DICE which is one of the rare innovators in the space. Um, let's see if there's anything else I wrote down about action items. I guess for today, like maybe just be allowed to be frustrated. Um, and I, I think that, I don't know, you guys. I feel like part of the issue, like I was saying earlier, like we feel close to her and we know she loves her fans, but like our point of entry was a more warm and highly engaged version of her that like interacted on social media where there were comments there on Tumblr, there was secret session, there was secret sessions and swift miss. And like a lot of that stopped post reputation. Um, I don't know if the fandom grew and people started to fight too much and like lost their privileges with stuff like secret sessions or swift miss, but she did stop posting on Tumblr because somebody changed their comment to be about her not talking enough about black lives matter. And then 
she stopped engaging on Tumblr. She turned off comments entirely in the reputation era. And like, I've kind of been a little hurt ever since then, if I'm honest, like I've talked about this before, but you know, the whole shtick with reputation was people completely trolled her after the Kim and Kanye thing. The entire album and its promote lack of promotion cycle was focused on snakes and stones, but the rest of us still had a bone for Taylor's music and promotional efforts. And like, yeah, the Twitter jury took you down with steak emojis. And I'm sure that was traumatizing. I don't discount that or invalidate that experience. But do you know a single genuine Swifty that legitimately abandoned her at that time? I don't. Nobody, nobody was convinced by the Kim and Kanye saga. We all went, we all stood behind her. And um, it was, it was frustrating for me as a fan that like as cruel and awful as the pylon was, I feel like we got punished for it. There will be no explanation. There'll just be a reputation. She hid, there was no press, no nothing. She turned off comments and never turned them back on. And there was this like undertone of getting punished for speaking out in her fandom from stuff like the Tumblr thing, um, from having stuff like Secret Sessions or Swiftmas or any sort of acknowledgement by Taylor Nation. You feel like if you say anything negative publicly, even if it's in, if, if it's well-meaning and in the name of accountability, you, you're risking not being able to ever be asphyxiated by vibrato treehouse candles and the smell of snickerdoodles and the magic of her presence. I would love to go to Holiday House. I know for that will never happen for me. I've said too much. But also... That's amazing that Taylor Nation engage, used to engage with fans that way. Her fans deserve it more than anybody for how hard they market her. And most people are not paid that run these fan sites and they deserve to go. And her, her engagement with them at that time was strong and important and instrumental to the magic of her fandom. But it also kind of keeps people quiet. And I am proud of people that are speaking up. And I hope she can see the difference between well-meaning feedback and haters going to hate, hate, hate. And if I'm... One of the initial things I was saying is that the the discouraging part for me. So part of that Ticketmaster thing that got taken down it really focused on her breaking records, right? This is not a record we're celebrating in. And I don't think she, I hope she gets the message and she's not either. I, my initial take was I thought the deliberate VIP markup on Team Swift's behalf was because she wanted this to be like a highest grossing tour, like beat head shared, break the billion dollar mark, whatever, all the things. Um, like if we know anything about her meticulous nature and doing the Easter eggs, she probably reverse and like engineer, like did the backward math of how she could um, do this. And I don't, I don't know if it, I don't think it's necessarily a billion dollars, but um, it, it would behoove her to sell out and capture most of the margin in the uh, primary sale. Anyway, um, I was feeling like after the Midnight's era that everything felt so gimmicky that we, like I said earlier, our, our fandom was, and dedication was just like really being leveraged to have her break records, gain accolades. And the reason I say that isn't like, not just because of the, um, buying things in multipliers of four to get the clock or because you had to buy, you know, to listen to a hits different. You have to buy a separate Target album. And that even if you bought the four vinyls and the Target album, that you still didn't know that there were going to be seven songs not on any of the albums. So that means you had to buy something to listen and stream it if you were a person that bought something. And even then to listen to all the remixes, you'd have to the remixes, you'd have to stream those. 
Um, I part of me was wondering if she thought she did all those digital singles just to help with like boosts or something to have affordable boosts for the verified fan process, which I would respect. But I think that they were literally just to get all top 10 of the be like the first person to break that top 10 billboard record where every one of her songs was the entirety of the top 10. And I think the singles drove that they've been promoting anti-hero remixes endlessly to keep themselves in the top spot and go up against Drake. The audacity of Taylor Nation to promote an anti-hero remix today is so frustrating. And all the while, I'm like, I swear to God, her Twitter bio says, I'm the problem, it's me. And I'm like, if this is like a means to deflect everything ever. And she's like, I know I said I was the problem. What? Like, and that's so frustrating. <laughs> um, it's no matter what we do, she has an she has an answer. It's like, don't blame me. Ticketmaster made me crazy. If you don't work with them, you're not doing it right. They control 80% of the market. And it's like, oh man. But so there were, there were, the Midnight's era was so gimmicky. You know, she's dropping merch when women lost their bodily autonomy in May. Like there have been a, the David O. Russell thing. Like there have been countless things that have disenchanted me and made me feel like she actually has no finger on the pulse. And the information she gets from the fans is like wildly filtered. Um, but I was just thinking back to like the Miss Americana era where, like, okay, she was devastated when Reputation didn't win a, get any Grammy nominations. Devastated. What did she say immediately? I need to make a better album. And that, like, hurt my heart. That album is great. And, and so many people love it so much. And, it, like, I think it's innovative. It has a beautiful arc. It has bangers. It has ballads. It represents a transition phase that has a place in an artist's life. Not everything needs to surpass the last thing you did. It's such a thankless, perfectionistic, problematic place to only be as good as your next thing. And I know that's the, that, that is the creative process. That's the commodification of your hobbies and your art. I experience that all the time. People are like, shut your yapper, make your Christian brothers autumnal more Rachel Hollis. And I'm like, oh, I'd really rather move on. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows more what it feels like to be invisible to an industry. Uh, like a per, I, I'm not with the podcast network. I'm never going to get industry awards unless it's like best podcast for chores you don't want to be doing, long road trips you want to die on, late night feedings or other tedious tasks and you have no other options. Congratulations, be there in five podcasts. And I and I know I'm being self-deprecating and, and I know in saying that it's offensive to you guys who love this podcast, but I also hope you know that I get messages all day being like, finally get to catch up on be there in five, have to go under my house and search for mice. <laughs> like, what are you, what, that, what? <laughs> People just, just, it makes me laugh that the, the, this length is fitting for like really bizarre things. And it is my honor and privilege and joy to keep you company. But I have times when I'll get really upset or I'll like cry to Courtney and I'll feel like I, you know, I, I'm I'm never going to be like recognized in any way. I can't even get on the front page of Apple Podcasts. Nobody will take me seriously because I've chosen to be independent, but that's because I don't want to be gouged with my ad revenue and give 40% of it away when I already did all the startup things that those networks add value and bring to a person starting a podcast. But if I already put all the effort and the time and the capital into setting it up and getting, you know, building out an ad model and like, producing it and whatever like a lot of the fees like don't add value to me basically no one cares um so for me to join a network once i was several years in like i would just lose money it's not a good financial decision and i fear that um 
then I become a function of the people that they bring on that aren't within my control. I, I don't want to ever have my content like censored. And let's say somebody I want to be able to talk about a scandal of is on a network with me. Like there are just a lot of reasons that a person like me who wants to do commentary, it benefits me to uh, be able to have full control. And am I tap dancing on the late stage of capitalism by wanting to capture the most ad revenue? Sure, sure. But the difference is the money would go in the pockets of people that didn't do the work. And I want and I want it so I can buy a primrose mirror. <laughs> Clearly. But uh, I explain that because there are times when I feel like everybody just laps me in this industry and I'm and I feel and I and it makes me feel like I failed. And but I snap out of it because. It doesn't actually really matter if the industry praises me or if I get an award or if I get featured anywhere or if I'm taken seriously, like. What matters is. If I subsisted off of that, I would have had to quit by now because I would I don't get anything. What matters is is that you listen, you review it, you come back every week, you reach out to us, you make us keep going, you care, you tell me, keep it long. Because without you, there is no me on a public platform. And I I have to remind my I'm not perfect at this. I'll like criticize the way I do this all the time. And I have to remind myself every day that there are enough of you that like it the way it is. And that when I'm breathing life only into the people that hate it, I'm part of the problem and I'm only valuing their opinion. And they're not the ones that are here. You are. So why am I wasting my breath? Right. And that is something I felt frustrated with Taylor Swift about for years is that her entire approach now is in response to haters and not uh, a reflection of her most loyal fans. And when Reputation didn't get a Grammy nom and she said, okay, I'll make a better album. I, I just think she's been chasing the commercial success of 1989 ever since. And that is the only thing that matters to her at this point. And we are numbers to get her there. And when you think about lover singles, like they didn't do as well as 1989's Folklore and Evermore were kind of one-off uh, albums in the pandemic without a traditional promo cycle, but she could almost lean, like use that and say, well, this didn't perform X, Y, Z as it should, or whatever. This is kind of like her first big promo cycle with UMG. Um, and Lover, like me, I don't think was the smash that everyone thought it would be. I think it was very like can't stop the feeling type of Pharrell happy move. Um, like we talked about the troll soundtrack. Uh, you know, I'm the only one of me. Let me keep you company. Sure. But like, I just, as long as you don't play that song, um, and she didn't go for the that type of single. She didn't even release a single. I think she heard loud and clear that we don't like the, like the last radio single. I mean, well, I, I think she probably felt burned by some of the reception to look what you made me do and me. Um, so now we don't get any singles and we still complain because we're terrible. But um, <laughs> anyways, I guess my point is she really cares about accolades. She really cares about awards. The. The system was melting down. That there had been a glitch on the fifteenth. The, the fandom was not well. We were being screwed over. We didn't. There was poor communication. It was really upsetting. People took off work. People put their lives on hold. Like people really went. What showed up for her? And she's like, "Thanks for the Grammy nom." It was so. It's like, oh my gosh, read the room, please, for the love of God. That that to me just goes to show how far removed I think she is, honestly, from all of this, and. Taylor Nation was like talking about some other award today in addition to promoting another um, remix. And I just, 
I don't know. I just think she cares about sales figures. She cares about cash. She cares about awards. Everything she's done has really served to go the EGOT route. And she's doing the exact Oscar campaign cycle that somebody who wants an Oscar would be doing, like by going to TIFF, Tribeca, um, going to the EMAs to accept an award for the short film. It got nominated for Song of the Year at the Grammys. Um, And maybe it'll get an Oscar. And I'm like, I don't know. She shot it like in the proper millimeter and in the proper specs that would make it eligible. And it was great. And we loved it. And, And that would be so cool for her. But I just think that when you're at the top, when karma takes all your friends to the summit, uh, the only way to go is down unless you keep out doing yourself. And I think that at this point, she has maybe a complicated relationships with with fans like me that are only happy if they're she's doing what they prefer. And when people like me speak out about things like this, I think the response is like to punish us. <laughs> and that's my fear is like, well, I'm just not going to tour or I'm not, and, and people are never going to be happy. And it's like, no, I would have been totally happy and fine. I've never complained once. I've gone to the past three tours. Um, have I? I don't remember. Well, I tried to love or didn't happen. Uh, red. I was still too scared of going into crowds. It's a long story. Um, I would have never said a word. I would have been like celebrating. I would have looked, been so excited. I, but I think there were clear things that could have been done and I just don't know if we were being heard. So I want to put it out on the airwaves. So, so, not that you'll ever hear this, but to make you feel validated if you're frustrated. Cause I know a lot of you spend your time, your wine, your spirit, your trust trying to get these tickets and you feel really defeated. And I get it. And I, with the, the, the general sale being canceled, it's shocking. I hope we hear more. I hope I, I denounce this entire episode, but until then, um, you know, just wanted to pull an Avril Lavigne and say, I'm with you. That was a weird thing to say, but I don't have time to edit it out. And I love you so much. Taylor Swift, we miss the version of you that cared about your fans more. I miss you, but I also miss sparkling. And that, and, and we will do that on tour and show up with bells on. And it's not that we're abandoning you. It's just that we want you to hear our well-intentioned feedback. <laughs> Love you guys. This episode was chaotic. Um, if you want to share with a friend, at be there and five on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, leave a review, five stars rate and review. I'm sure this episode will not do well under the Swifties that are still uh, you know, aligned. So maybe toss me some stars on Spotify or iTunes just in case. And um patreon.com slash be there in five if you want to see four hours of video of me reviewing midnights. I'll do I want to talk about the Capital One credit card thing on there too. I'm gonna go to dinner with my husband. Um, you know, work life balance. <laughs> and I sorry for everything I said. Uh, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Bye.